You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Um, okay, y'all should all have a magnifying glass in your chair. And um, you may be thinking, what does a magnifying glass have to do with Christmas? Um, well, actually, it has a lot to do with Christmas. Um, because what does a magnifying glass do? It makes things bigger than they actually are. And I'm not, I'm not good at being tethered. Um, and I have a tendency at Christmas, um, especially when the things get amped up in the weeks ahead of Christmas, uh, to magnify things. I can magnify my to-do list. I can magnify the importance of finding the perfect picture for a Christmas card. Um, the perfect tree for our house, and this one especially, the perfect gift for someone that I love. Um, I can magnify my flaws. I mean, don't get me started on a magnifying mirror. I think I'm still scarred from the first time that I got a close look. Um, and then I can turn that magnifying glass inward and magnify my faults, my mistakes. Um, I can rewind a conversation and magnify the things that I said that I shouldn't have said or magnify the things that I didn't say and I wish I had. Um, I can magnify at Christmas my loneliness um, because it's this time of year when I most keenly feel the absence of the friends and family um, that are not here. Um, I can magnify slights and invitations that don't come. Um, I can magnify my complaints, my grudges. Um, and then I can turn around and magnify my importance and my significance. I mean, it's, it's, it's like two different personalities. Um, and I can turn my magnifying glass on other people uh, and magnify the things that they don't do at the expense of the things that they do do. Um, I can turn the magnifying glass on what I don't have and really neglect what I do have. Um, and I actually did a little online research as I was preparing for this. And there's a condition that is called magnification and minimization. Um, and it's where the importance of events or mistakes can be exaggerated. And then the positive things can be um, minimized. And they call this a cognitive distortion. And I like that word, that cognitive distortion. When I magnify something, if I put it on the paper, some things get magnified, but everything else gets kind of distorted. And we get a distorted view um, of life. And the Bible actually is right in accordance with this cognitive um, distortion. And the Bible takes it, talks about, explains all of this, oh, sorry, explains all of this in the fall. Um, when you go to Genesis 3 and you read, after Adam and Eve disobeyed, their eyes were open and they knew they were naked. And all of a sudden they had this sense of self and it's really a distorted sense of self and out of this comes self-consciousness self-centeredness 
selfish ambition, self-seeking. Um, we have a need for self-control. Um, in short, self wants to be magnified. Um, and it really doesn't care if we're magnified in a positive way or a negative way. As long as self is in the spotlight, um, that's where it wants to be. And I've learned the hard way um, that the unsmiling concentration on self is a dangerous place to be. And I want to, st- I want to share this morning with you a story. And it's a true story about an unlikely intersection between two very different women. One woman is from the North. She's young. She's engaged, um, but not married. She's still living with her parents. The other woman is from the South um, and is older. She's in her mid late 60s, early 70s. She married young, never had children, wanted children, but was not able to have them. Her husband's been recently disabled. And these two women have something in common. They're both pregnant. Unexpectedly, suddenly, they're both pregnant. The beginning of their story will be very familiar to you because it's in Luke's Gospel. Whoops, my magnifying glasses are falling. Um, God brings these women together in an incredibly wonderful, kind way. Here's the beginning of the story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Okay, in the sixth month, from the beginning, from the very start of Mary's story, her story's connected to Elizabeth's because it's the six months refers to the sixth month of Elizabeth, this older woman who lives in the south of Israel. It's, it, Elizabeth is this older woman who was pregnant, and she is six months pregnant. Um, and let me give you a little bit of the backstory. Elizabeth's husband is a man named Zechariah. He's a priest. And while he was serving in the temple, the angel Gabriel came to him to let him know that in their old age, Elizabeth and Zechariah were going to have a son. And Zechariah is shocked. He asks for a sign. He gets a sign. And the sign is he's mute. He cannot talk. I don't think that's the sign he was looking for. But that's the sign he got. Um, So he can speak. He goes home, and we read, Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. Now, I find this really interesting, and I have so many questions. How much of the prophecy did Zechariah communicate to his wife? And how did he do that? Scripture says he, he, make, he, he gave signs. So, I mean, think in your mind this pantomime. This older man comes home. Elizabeth's minding her own business, has no idea what's going on. And he walks in, can't talk, but has this huge news to share. And can't you imagine he's over there going, well, the angel came down and um, we're going to have a son and he's going to be mighty and he's going to prepare the way and... 
Um, here's some flowers. Have another glass of wine and let's go. I mean, how did that go? Uh, I, I, I find it extraordinary. Um, how did Elizabeth know she was pregnant? She's on the far side of menopause. So how did she know? Did she literally hide herself for five months kind of in her house? Or did she just wear loose clothing so you couldn't tell she was pregnant? Why did she hide? Well, why would I hide? Um, perhaps she wanted to be sure before she shared such improbable news. Um, perhaps she was afraid she might lose the baby. Um, and having the loss public would really magnify her pain. I don't know. Just, just, there's a lot that Scripture doesn't tell us. But it does tell us that in her third month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. And the angel said to Mary, this is an abridged version, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What an extraordinary pronouncement. And the thing that really strikes me is the certainty of the pronouncement. There's no maybes, there's no mites. Um, it is, you will conceive. You will bear a son. Uh, you will call his name Jesus. And then certainty about this child. He will be great. He will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And then I find Mary's response really curious. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, I would have thought, okay, I'm betrothed to Joseph. When we get married, then I'll have this baby. But she really seems to grasp the immediacy of this pronouncement. Um, and then lastly, and I love this, the angel says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Why do you think God has Gabriel mention Elizabeth's pregnancy to Mary? I thought about that. And I thought maybe to underscore that nothing is impossible with God. To remind Mary that God brings life out of barrenness. That this happened to Sarah. Happened to Rachel, Rebecca, to Hannah. Now to her, uh, her relative Elizabeth. So Mary, God can bring life 
out of the barren womb of a virgin. And how comforting that would be. But I think also maybe to bring these two unlikely women together for their mutual support and their mutual comfort. Because the story goes on. Gabriel leaves her. Luke tells us that Mary arose and went with haste to the house of Zechariah. And given the timing, she either left that day or within the week. So, and, and again, I have a zillion questions. Did Mary confide in anybody? I mean, she's had this pronouncement. But do you want to tell your parents? Do you want to tell Joseph? Do you want to tell your friend? What do you do? Um, did she have morning sickness? Um, did she know that this was the great pivotal moment of God's grand plan of salvation? Did she recall Isaiah's words when he said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Did she recall the promise of Genesis 3.15? That the seed of a woman, that from the seed of a woman would come the one who would crush the head of the serpent and set to right what had gone wrong in the fall. We know Mary is thoughtful. Luke tells us that she ponders things in her heart. And she had time to think, because her trip south to Elizabeth's home would have covered 50 or 60 miles and would have taken at least three to four days. And again, I wonder, how did she travel? I mean, who took her? Did she go in a caravan? Did she go by herself? I don't know. But she went with haste to the house of Zechariah. And she walked through the door and she said a word of greeting. And when Elizabeth heard her voice, the baby inside her leaped. And think what a moment this must have been for Elizabeth. I think the past five months would have been a mixture of great joy um, and thanksgiving and praise because she's well past childbearing years and yet she's miraculously pregnant um, with the child that she has longed for. But I think this was also a time of silence and aloneness because she's been hiding her pregnancy. She's living with a man that cannot speak. Um, she's thinking, will this really happen? Um, she has had no supernatural explanation from Gabriel. Um, she's in a category of one. How singular her situation is. Um, she's now in her sixth month. That's 23, 24 weeks pregnant, which is about the time you start to feel a baby move. So I don't know when Mary's sweet voice came through the door. Her isolation is ended, and at this very moment, the baby leaps. And I bet... This is the first time she's felt that child move.
because that would be just like the way God does his timing. So I don't know, but thinking about that, this woman who's been in silence, and what breaks the silence is Mary's sweet voice and the baby leaping inside her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, and listen to this, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Remember, Mary is barely pregnant, not showing, but Elizabeth knows. Um, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should be coming to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What a double blessing this moment was for both of these women. Um, If I had been Mary, Elizabeth's words would have just washed over me because they would have been words of confirmation, affirmation, validation that Elizabeth knows right where she is because here's Mary her life's turned upside down she's unmarried still a virgin pregnant another category of one she's been traveling for four or five days she walks into Elizabeth and Zachariah's home here's this wonderful blessing from Elizabeth Mary you are blessed you are the mother of my Lord Mary, you came because you believed what Gabriel told you about your pregnancy and my pregnancy. And then out of Mary just comes this song and psalm of praise. It just kind of wells out of her. Magnify the Lord. Uh, No, I'm sorry. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And I love that, magnify the Lord. What does that mean? How do we do it? Well, you can't take your magnifying glass and actually make God bigger. God can't be made bigger than he actually is. But he can be bigger inside each one of us um, than he is at present. He can't increase, but there can be more of God inside each one of us. Um, More of his great love, more of his great power. But how do we do that? Well, like Mary, I think we ponder. I think we read, we meditate, we steep in his word. And I love that image of steeping, because you know how you put a tea bag in water and if it sits long enough it changes the water into tea it changes the color it changes the content and the same thing is true with us when we steep in God's word it changes us and God gets bigger inside each one of us when we do that Um, and I think it's interesting if you read the Magnificat and I've got copies for you and I think there's some women who are going to help pass those out 
when you when we're going to just go through quickly the Magnificat because that's what this psalm of praise is called. What is interesting, what pours out of Mary is scripture. These aren't original thoughts that she's expressing. She is really kind of rehearsing in her mind what she already knows from Scripture, and we're just going to go through it. I also want you to notice how personal this is. It is my soul, my spirit, my Savior. What you have in front of you is a handout. The words in bold are actually the words of the Magnificat. What's not in bold is actually the Old Testament references that she might have been pulling from. And let's just go through this together. Um, She begins this outpouring, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Now we'll stop there because remember, God is a God who sees. He's a God who looks, who sees. He is the God who saw Hagar alone, pregnant, in the wilderness, having been spurned by her owner, Sarah. And Hagar looks at God and says, you are a God who sees. When on the burning bush in Exodus 3, God tells Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them. God is a God who sees. He is a God who sees each one of us, calls us by name, has numbered the hairs on our head, and has engraved our names on the palms of his hands. God is a personal God who sees and who knows. And then Mary goes on, For behold, now from, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And blessed is complete peace, fullness of life, total well-being. That's shalom. It's that tree planted by streams of water where the roots go deep, The fruit is good in its season, and its leaf does not wither. It is that she is blessed. Um, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And ladies, it's important to ponder the great things that God has done for you. Um, He has his pursuit of us, his redemption, his salvation, the people he's put in your path the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, Each one of us has our own unique story of God's faithfulness in our lives. Um, So remember the great things that he has done for you. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. The promise made to his people thousands of years ago to redeem with an outstretched arm. 
and think about Mary, she is going to stand at the foot of the cross and see those outstretched arms of redemption. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And I think this verse of what she says particularly speaks to our magnifying glasses because magnification of self um, is pride. It causes us to think too much of self, either positively or negatively. Humility thinks of self less. It's where our eyes shift from ourselves to our Lord. And it's the only way when we have that humility of spirit that our thinking is not distorted and our seeing is not distorted. Um, And then it goes on to say, to close, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God is a God who keeps promises. The promises he made back to Abraham, the promises he made in the Garden of Eden, God keeps. God is good. He loves us with a never-stopping, never-ending love. He cares for us. Um, And I love the way the the first chapter in Luke ends. Because it says, Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. And think what a gift those three months were to both of those women. Here you have Elizabeth with no longer silence in the house. Somebody she doesn't have to hide from. And what a blessing that would be. And for Mary... She's got three months with an older woman who can, who understands, who knows, like no one else knows. And God brings them together. And I think, I mean, I I find that so extraordinary how God orchestrates intersections between women. And we're all women in this room. And the connections that God makes and the friendships and the encouragement and the support and the comfort that we can get from one another is really vital. There's so much of living a life just by yourself. And God calls us into community. And my real hope for us at at this Christmas is that we'll really remember and drink in this story of Mary and Elizabeth. And they were ready. And Advent and Christmas is a time for us to make ourselves ready because God is a God who keeps his promises. He is coming back. And we need to be ready like they were. And I look at their lives and I feel like they are like that tree planted by streams of water with deep roots. 
and their fruit is good and their leaf doesn't wither and I want that. And I don't want to, I want a Christmas where I'm not magnifying all the things that need to be done, all the things that have to do with me. I really want that heart that wants to magnify the Lord. And I think back to what did Mary and what did Elizabeth have? Everything they have, I have. God gave them the community. They were both kind of isolated. They were both categories of one. It was just, they were both unique situations. Everybody in here is kind of a category one. We're all different. We're all struggling with different things. We've come from different places. But God has called us into community, into fellowship together. And boy, we miss a blessing if we don't appreciate and enjoy that. So God's given us community. God has also given us his word. We have his word that we can drink from. It is streams of living water we can drink from. And so often we don't. But again, we miss that blessing. And the last thing they had that we have, which we really don't think we have, is time. We all have time. God's given us all the exact same amount of time. And he has called us to be good stewards of the time that he's given us. And so my prayer for this Christmas is that I would drink deep of God's word, that I would find the time to do that. Because I have found when I make time for God, the rest of my day goes so much easier. It's, yes, it is the truth. And that God has given us sisters in Christ to go through life with. And what a blessing. And Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, let me pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord God. Lord, you are a God who sees us who hears us. Lord, you know exactly where we are. And Lord, you have come down in the person of Jesus Christ to deliver us. And Lord, we confess uh, so often that we run around and scurry around so busy doing so many different things. And Lord, we do um, magnify the wrong things. And Lord, we just confess that to you. And Lord, we thank you um, for all the blessings that you've given us. And Lord, we do ask that this Christmas um, we will be different, that we will magnify you. And Lord, we thank you for um, the friends that you've put in our path. We thank you for your word that you have given us. And Lord, help us to... um, Read your word well. And Lord, you've given us time. And Lord, help us to use the time you've given us wisely. And Lord, thank you for this community of women. Lord, knit us together that we might encourage each other, support each other, and comfort each other. For the good of your people and for the glory of your holy name. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen.
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.